The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture reading is from John 21, 4-17. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Jesus said, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Good morning, happy Easter. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. People all around the world are saying that today. They're saying Christ is risen, and the response is he is risen indeed. And it's because there is no single event in the history of the world that has had a greater impact than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I'm excited to be here with you this morning, even though we're gathering virtually on this, what is considered by many to be the biggest Sunday of the Christian calendar Easter Sunday, but we're gathered together virtually, and the Lord is with us, and so we celebrate that. Before I get into this message, I just wanted to make a couple of 
Quick mentions of things that are going on in the life of the church. Uh, Worship, connect, serve is, these are the three words that we use to describe the pathway of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we're keeping this in front of us, even in this time of, of social distancing, to remember that we, we're people who worship. So continue to gather on Sunday mornings, even around your screens at 10 a.m. for our live stream, live stream services and, and, uh, and, and continue to connect with each other as well. Through, through If you're a part of a connect group, continue to meet. Many of you I know are using Zoom and features like that to be able to be together in fellowship. So keep on with that. And then serving your neighbors uh, and and your church, keep on doing that as well. Uh, You can continue to give to the church because our ministries are continuing on and on. Uh, And so you can sign up to give online on the church's website if you haven't done that already. And also I wanted to direct you to um, our website to look for the the crisis relief page that's on there. Uh, Our church has been able, uh, through your generosity, to be involved in many ways uh, of serving and caring for neighbors and partners here in Nashville who are still recovering from a tornado uh, that happened last month. And then also just ways that we we have been able to come together and help support the medical community and the vulnerable and those who are struggling uh, through this time of the coronavirus. So lots going on there, uh, but uh, I'm just, I'm so thankful for the work of the Lord through this church and countless others where he is just, he's on the move. So I'm thankful for that. So we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus by way of of looking at his reinstatement of Simon Peter. And I want to tell you right now where we're going, uh, the main idea of this message, and then we'll get into it. And the main idea is this, that the resurrection of Jesus frees us from the burden of having to control the narrative of our lives. And it does this because... There is nothing fragile about our security before God because Christ has defeated the power of death. So that's where we're going to go. There's nothing fragile about our security with God. And so the resurrection of Jesus frees us from the burden of having to control the narrative of our own lives. My given name is Russell Brown Ramsey. That's the name on my birth certificate. Had I been born a girl, you would know me by the name Rita. That was, my parents told me that that was going to be my name if I was born a girl. But I am a Russell. Now, Russell is a fine name. There's nothing wrong with it. But when the time came for me to move from elementary school into middle school, where I would have a locker, where I would have a PE uniform, where there would be passing periods between classes, all things that were signaling that I was growing up, I decided that this would be a good time during this transition from elementary to middle school, from one building to another, that this would be a good time to do something that I had wanted to do for a while, and that is change my name. I would now be called Russ. Now, I was not what you would call an elegant child. I was clumsy. I was, oh, I was emotional. I was an emotional 
kid. I was an easy target for teasing, what with the whole wetting my pants up through fourth grade thing. And I thought that changing my name as I moved into middle school would help me to rewrite my story just a little bit. I would become Russ. My parents got on board. My friends got on board. My new teachers never knew me by any other name, so that was easy. It was going really great. The transition was happening. But then, halfway into that sixth grade year, my grandparents came to town from Pennsylvania for a visit for Christmas. And when they called me Russell, I explained to them, honest mistake, I actually go by Russ now. And they looked at me and they said, no, you're Russell. And I cried and I cried and I cried. Because changing my name was about so much more than the name. I thought that changing my name might change other things too. What was I doing? I was attempting to control the narrative of my own life. I was trying to put down one identity and take up another one. Even as a 10-year-old boy, something in me understood that I was trying to reinvent myself. And so I ask you the question, what have you done in your life to try to control the narrative of who you are? Maybe you've changed your wardrobe at some point, or maybe you've lost weight, or maybe you've gone to the gym and hit it hard and just gotten jacked, or maybe you've gotten tattoos, or maybe you've moved to a different city, or maybe you quit a job, or maybe you left a relationship, or maybe you changed churches, maybe you changed religions, maybe you walked away from religion entirely. We all do things like this. Why? Because we believe that our identity is something that we give to ourselves. We live in a culture, we live in a time that says your identity is something that you give to yourself. You write the own, you write the story on who you are. You get to determine this as if there is no identity, as, as if we're a blank slate until we have done that. One of the perils of that is one false move, one public failure, one missed opportunity, and our lives will never be what we hoped for. You ever feel that way? That things are just that fragile? And then sometimes something comes along that shakes your life up. Like a pandemic. Something comes along that messes with your hard-won routines or our budgets or our ideas about the world and how it's supposed to work and what our place is in it. Sometimes the thing that shapes us, shakes us up is not those things, but sometimes it's a kind of a personal failure. We mess up in some way, or we hurt somebody in some way, or we fail morally in some way, or relationally, and we think this is something that nobody can ever come back from. Jesus' resurrection assures us that our identity and our future are secure. 
when our faith is in Christ, that it's secure. His resurrection guarantees that we do not have to pretend, we don't have to fear, we don't have to control people or outcomes, we don't have to create the illusion that we're someone we're not in order to be loved. All of that is off the table. Jesus' resurrection means we are not responsible for making a name for ourselves because he has already given us one. So to see this, I want us to look at a man who in many ways his life has collapsed in on him and he's now desperately trying to control his own narrative. I'm talking about Simon Peter, Jesus' closest friends by any measure, Simon Peter. And so I want to tell you his story. Simon Peter's story is a story for anyone whose failure has brought you to the point of abandoning hope. If you are somebody who has failed in such a way that you think there's no going back, this is the story for you. On the shore of Galilee, when we read in this passage today, Peter is there and he's fishing. And he's on the heels of a spectacular failure. And now he has returned to his trade as a fisherman, what he did before he met Christ. What had happened is only days earlier, in Jesus' greatest hour of need, as he was being tried before the Sanhedrin, Peter was asked if he was one of Jesus' disciples and he denied it. And he was asked again, and he denied it again. And he was asked a third time, and he swore that he did not know the man. And maybe the most painful part of that denial was that he did it exactly as Jesus told him he would. Before the rooster crowed in the morning, Peter thought he was incapable of this. And yet, when that rooster crowed, something undeniably true came from the deepest recesses of this man. He was tested and he had failed. And it called into question the past three years that he had spent invested as Jesus' disciple. From there, as Peter denied Jesus, Jesus was led away to be tried before Pilate. From there, Jesus went on to die. And Peter watched it all unfold. And he did so in secret. And this failure, this denial, forced Peter to question what the rest of his life was going to look like. Who was he anymore? The truth is this. Peter loved Jesus. He did. He loved him. And Jesus loved Peter. But who among us, when we fail, doesn't ask the question, how much is lost here? Peter saw his failure and he wept. 
He wept. Think of the grief. Think of the grief Peter must be fighting, not just over Jesus' death, but over his own failure to love his friend well in the midst of his suffering. Think of your own failures to love well. Peter must have felt so fragile. If Peter was anything like any of us, the expectations that he had for himself were so great, and now he was just folding under the weight of his own expectations. These places where we collapse under the weight of our own expectations, where we feel the weight of our failure, these are the places where we often try to reinvent ourselves. Where we try to give ourselves a new name, a new identity. It's this strange little mix of shame and pride. We say things like, all right, I'm, just, I'm going to now just apply myself to my job more. I'm going to disappear into my work. That's how I'm going to deal with the relational failure. Or, or I'm going to take the story of how I lost that job or damaged that friendship or said that hurtful thing. And I'm going to adjust the narrative so that it can be one that I can live with. And then that will be the story that I tell others. And it'll be the story that I tell myself until I believe that that's the truth. So we spin right? And what ends up happening is it ends up our lives end up looking like a house that has been staged with fake furniture and fruit. We walk into it and we say, man, this is a really neat place. It's really nice. Look how tidy it is. I want to live here, but it's all fake. Do you do this? Are there people in your life to whom you need to say, hey, look, I hurt you and I'm sorry, but you can't. And the reason you can't is because in order to do that, you would have to abandon the narrative that you have already accepted, the one that makes you feel okay. Why do we do this? We do this because we believe, there's something in us that believes that our position is fragile. It's, it's too fragile to bear up under the truth. And so we create an alternative. After Peter fails, what does he do? He goes back to his trade. Before he was a follower of Jesus, he was a fisherman. Maybe that's all he ever really was after all. A fisherman, nothing more. Maybe that's his real identity. But then one day, a man appears on the shore and asks him, if they're catching anything. And they reply, they shout back across the water, nothing. They tell the man. And then the man says something that startled John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And must have also startled Peter too. And that is, he says, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. Why would this have startled Peter? It would have startled Peter because this was what Jesus said when he first called Peter. Back at the beginning of his earthly ministry. It was a morning, a lot like this one. Peter and his brothers were out fishing. They weren't having any luck. And there was a man who called out to them, put out into the deep and let down your nets. And they politely told him then, as they did on this day, that they'd been at it all day long and they hadn't caught anything, but with nothing else to lose, they figured it couldn't hurt. And so they did what the man on the shore said. And lo and behold, 
they all of a sudden had more fish than they could pull in. And that was the day that Jesus told Simon, you will be called Peter, the rock, and I will make you a fisher of men. That's in Luke 5. And so here, as if, as if waking up, Peter sees that the risen Christ is recreating that moment for him. See, going back to fishing was Peter's way of saying, just call me Simon. Let's just have a do-over. But as far back as Jesus was, con- but, as far, but as far as Jesus was concerned, there was no going back. Peter's life is no longer his own. He's not the one writing his own story. Christ has given him a new name. And Jesus' resurrection guarantees that Peter is never going to return to just being Simon again. Even though he's going to stumble forward. Even though he's still going to fail. Even though he's still going to have moments where he doesn't live in a faithful way. Thank God for that. So Peter, what does he do? He wraps his cloak around himself. He jumps out of the boat and he swims as fast as he can to the one he had denied. Imagine it. And what does Jesus do? Does he impatiently tap his foot and say, is there anything you want to say to me? No, he does. What I would submit to you is one of the most universal expressions From one guy to another guy that he loves him. He cooks him breakfast. He cooks him breakfast over a fire of charcoal. He cooks him a breakfast of fresh fish over a charcoal fire. Does anything in the world sound more delicious than that? This is love. And this is what Jesus is doing. And as the dripping disciple stands before his Lord... Jesus then asks Peter the most revealing and volatile question he could. Peter, do you love me? Three times Jesus asks Peter this question. And three times Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. What I love about this is Jesus never once questions Peter's response, as if he doubts him, as if he's saying, sure doesn't look like it. Instead, each time Peter says he loves him, Jesus tells him, in effect, you are still Peter. You are still a fisher of men. My call on your life still stands. You have not wrecked the story that I am writing. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Like I called you to do when we first met, and I told you that I would make you a fisher of men, feed my sheep. Because look, the love between Jesus and Peter, that's the basis for Jesus' call on his life, not his ability to be perfect. And what I love about this is how Jesus checkmates Peter into confessing the unvarnished truth 
the confession of any honest Christian. And that is this, Lord, I love you. And I have failed you. But I love you. Though I fail you. God help me. Here's the beauty of what Jesus is giving to Simon Peter and to all who fail him. Is Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, I don't need your righteousness. You need mine. And I have given it to you. Even now, I am writing your life and I am using your existence for my glory. This is my story. And you're going to play a part. And it's going to be an important part. But it's my story. And it's quite a story, isn't it? The reinstatement of Peter. And the way Jesus does it. The artistry of recreating that moment. The resurrection of Jesus it's our living hope. It's the hope that we carry with us every day and will forever. There's a future grace that we await as followers of Jesus. That, that day when we will be with him in glory forever and there will be no more crying or mourning or pain or death. Because all of those things will have passed away and behold he is making all things new. And yet, because Jesus is risen and his spirit lives in his people, the resurrection of Jesus pulls part of our future hope into our present reality. Even though we may struggle, there are things that we are free from even now. Because of the future hope being pulled into our present reality by the presence of the Holy Spirit who lives in the people of God. What are we free from? Let me name a few. We're free from fear. We're free from needing to control the narrative. We don't have to do that because Jesus controls it all with all power and with all authority. Peter couldn't wreck it. Neither can we. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, our living hope, we are also free from hopelessness. If I have so great a future destiny and nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ, which we read in Romans 8, then we are free from the crippling despair of hopelessness now. All those voices of hopelessness only lie. They only lie. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, our living hope, I am freed and you are freed and we are freed from pursuing the peace that is based on our performance. No longer do we have to pursue peace based on performance. My place with God doesn't hinge on anything I do. And it doesn't hinge on anything I fail to do. It's based on Christ's finished work alone. And that means that he himself is our peace. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our living hope, we are free from finding our confidence through comparison. How I compare, how you compare to anyone else doesn't matter one bit because it has nothing to do with how God assesses us. 
he tells us who we are. And when our faith is in Christ, he tells us we are his beloved sons and daughters who have been given a perfect record of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. And that's the end of the story. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our living hope, we are free from narcissism. Self-love presumes I am the source of my own glory. I am responsible for generating my own glory. But the risen Christ, who sits at the right hand of God, has given me his name. His glory rests on his people forever. And there is no greater glory than that. So I am free from the need to make myself glorious in the sight of others. I'm free from narcissism. And because Jesus is risen, our living hope, we are free from self-condemnation and regret. If the remedy for our malady, sin, was the death of the Son of God, then to discover that I'm a deeply flawed person should not come as a surprise. If that's what my sin required was the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, it shouldn't come as a surprise that I'm a flawed person if I needed that. And what I find is that his sacrifice is telling me that my affliction has a cure. It has a cure. See, the resurrection and Jesus' reinstatement of Peter tells us this glorious truth. You are not your sin. That's not your story. That's not your legacy. Jesus shows Peter that the way to his freedom and restoration isn't through always getting it right. Freedom comes by embracing the truth of who we really are before Jesus. And who we really are before Jesus is not fragile. Jesus sees you. He knows you. There is nothing you can do to make yourself unworthy of his love. There is no failure so great that you are beyond the reach of his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his welcome. There is no road that you could be so far down that would put you out of his reach or beyond his call to return to him. He knows everything about you before you say a word. And he loves you. He does. Loves you. Closing thought. We've been living in this time of social distancing for a while now. And I know if you're like me that this is not a lot of fun. I miss seeing my church. I miss you guys. I, I, I miss being in a room together. I miss the fundamental thing that makes a community a community. And that is the gathering together of people. I miss it. The story of Peter's reinstatement reminds us of something, of something important to remember about Jesus. And that is this, even when we were scattered, 
As Peter and the disciples were in this passage, Jesus knows where we are. He knows where you are right now. He knows where his people are and he's with us. I lived in Jerusalem for a semester when I was in college, did one of those study abroad semesters. I highly recommend doing that. Um, Not just Jerusalem, but anywhere you can. But I spent a semester abroad in Jerusalem, and I was struck by the fact, you know, I wondered if going to Jerusalem, if I would have this really religious, super spiritual experience where I felt closer to Jesus. And, and what I was surprised by was that I felt no closer to Jesus there than I felt in my bedroom in Indiana. Because it really is true that Jesus does not reside in buildings or archaeological ruins or on the shores of a lake. He sits at the right hand of God and his Holy Spirit resides in his people. And so hear me when I say this, though there is distance between us right now, and I really wish there wasn't, and I hope this doesn't last much longer, there is no distance between you and Christ. And there never will be, ever. So know that on this Easter Sunday, though we are not gathered as a congregation, Jesus is no less present for you today than any other time in your life. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. And by his life and his death and his resurrection, he has defeated the power of sin and death on your behalf. And he is the one who writes your story and he is the one who gives you your identity. Rest in that. I'll see you all soon. And I love you and I miss you. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the magnificence of the story of the resurrection because it's more than a story it happened and the effect of it the implication of it the power of it has transformed the world and we need look no further than the existence the mere existence of the global church on earth had this been a hoax had this been wishful thinking There is no way people would have suffered what they suffered, endured what they endured, struggled what they struggled through in order to persevere in a faith that says the way to righteousness is laying our lives down, that the greatest form of love is giving ourselves away for other people, that our glory is found in another and not in our own righteousness. There is no vanity to be found in Christianity. And yet there is unparalleled hope. And so thank you for that. We're grateful for your love and your kindness. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to close with benediction and the doxology as we always do on Sundays. This benediction, I'm actually going to adapt this from our children's ministry, our kids' ministry team. 
our kids every Sunday, they, they will go into an elementary message, first through fourth grade, and they learn about the components of a worship service. And they're taught this about the benediction. A benediction offers words of assurance or lessons designed to bring joy, peace, comfort, and security to those who place their trust in God. The benediction charges the people to go out into the world, but it also reminds them that they can do all these things only because of what Jesus has already done for them. The benediction reminds us who God is and who we are. And so hear this benediction. Raise your hands and your hearts if you're so inclined. May the God who sent his son so that we could be adopted as God's own children send his spirit into your hearts, especially on this day of remembrance and renewal, and equip you to live as God's own children, dearly loved and called to serve a needy world. Amen. Let's sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I imagined you all harmonizing. Have a great Sunday. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I love you.